Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to Energy Roundtable, the weekly session where Lisa and I debate the news and notes of the week and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the stories in the energy or power generation space in the last week or so. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. I'm out here in our Western Canada office in Calgary and um, a lot of exciting things going on uh, out here in the West with respect to energy and um, lots, lots to uh, lots to sink our teeth into, and lots of uh, challenging opportunities to pursue. So yeah, that's awesome. That's great. You looking forward to the long weekend? I I am. Yes, I uh, I've eaten far too much this week, and <laughs> I, I was thinking I would get a reprieve, but it's Easter weekend, so I will not get a reprieve on uh, my, uh, my uh, diet. And and yourself? Yeah, looking forward to a little bit of downtime. It's been a pretty crazy couple of uh, weeks, so. Uh, yeah, looking forward to just spending some time with the family. Very good, very good. Well, let's uh, let's start uh, in. Uh, I'm I'm west of where you are, and let's keep going west um, <laughs> all the way to uh, to China for our first story. Uh, this is a story from OilPrice.com, and the, the headline is China's coal power generation jumps as electricity demand soars. And so the the story here is that. Uh, the, although there was an increase in uh, other forms of generation throughout China um, and throughout the rest of the world, we see a decrease in coal generation. Here in China, we see a uh, increase of 1.7% in 2020, which is interesting because in 2020, you know, all over the world, we were, you know, seeing reductions in in electricity uh, generation because of COVID. Uh, yet. There was an increase in China, and uh, as a you know, growing and booming economy, I'm sure, uh, but they had an increase in pa- in coal fire power gen and coal shortages mm. as a result. Ironically, so uh, an interesting an interesting story that you know I, I have to be thumbs down on because you know as a, as a as a society we need to be moving away from coal and and you know really moving away from carbon emissions as best we can. And from a supply chain perspective, a lot of our stuff comes from China, and so it comes with this carbon intensity factor. So what's your reaction to this? Um, yes, yeah, same reaction, Matt. And actually, it's a perfect segue into my article, actually, because uh, it's talking about, uh, well, the, the, the article of, or the title of the article is called Canada Predicts Largest Oil Province, Alberta, to Lead Growth in Renewables. So, you know, it talks about basically, you know, them coming off of coal, uh, how they're expected to see the fastest growth actually in renewable capacity between 2018 and 2023. Um, apparently by 2023, 26% of Alberta's electricity is expected to come from renewable sources up from 16% in 2017. Uh, and then the neighboring Prairie Province, Saskatchewan, will also see renewable energy capacity jump to about 33% from 25% uh, over the same period. So the, the thing that I really like about the article is well i mean when we think of western canada we've you know they they've just gone through so much in terms of the ups and downs of oil and gas um and and yet you know when it whether it's 
solar, which this article talks about, they talk about natural gas transitioning from coal. So to your, you know, to the point of the last article and wind power, like Alberta's going to be adding 20, sorry, 2000 megawatts of renewable power between 2017 and 2023. And Saskatchewan is going to be adding 587 megawatts. I just can't, I, I keep thinking about the resiliency of Western Canada, you know, and how, uh, well, obviously there's going to be a lot more jobs that are going to be created out of this. Um, but how uh, it just, it never fails to amaze me how, yeah, resilient everybody is there. And, uh, you know, where they were, you know, largely the largest, you know, oil and gas area in Canada, and here they are potentially going to be the largest in renewables. Uh, and although the article doesn't talk about it, for hydrogen too, they're expected to be on the map as far as uh, hydrogen production is concerned in Canada. So uh, anyways, interesting for that reason and kind of fit in nicely with uh with your article. Yeah, and, and it's an, uh, it's funny that I was going to ask you if they put natural gas in there because out here, natural gas is still <laughs> yes. renewable uh, for some reason. Uh, but it, it's clear that a transition has to happen and it's clear that, you know, the, the, there, is a, there is a desire, a groundswell for a transition. And, you know, ha- having some conversations this week about different renewable strategies as you say at a, at a at a corporate level it's not even you know provincially it's at a corporate level they're doing it uh, and then also hydrogen strategies and so how do we you know leverage the oil and gas assets and the oil and gas infrastructure to to do more hydrogen so it will be interesting to see you know how quickly and you know often we outpace our uh, projections um, and we, we beat the street so to speak so yeah it's going to be exciting uh, to, to to see how that goes so a little closer to home, uh, pulled another article here. Um, OPG collaborating with Moltex to study clean energy solutions. So you'll remember in one of our recent roundtables, I was a slight thumbs down to a, an article we talked about with with nuclear power, and uh, part of my concern was you know the uncertainty or the lack of clarity or perhaps even just ignorance on my part in terms of the uh, storage of of nuclear waste, and so. This article talks about an investment that OPG is making uh, through their Centre for Canadian Nuclear Sustainability, which is in Pickering, Ontario. And, and through that uh, group, they are going to provide a million dollars in funding to assist a company called Moltex. And what they do is they uh, are working on technology to process and, and potentially even uh, recycle the fuel from a can-do reactor. A can-do reactor is oh, our wow. yeah, our Canadian proprietary fuel. And um, this is a, you know, I, th- I think it's early stage, um, but there, there seems to be some collaboration here. You know, OPG from an Ontario perspective is involved. Canadian nuclear laboratories are involved. UNB, NB Power, which also has uh, nuclear, they are all involved. Um, and interestingly, the first quote in the article is, uh, Carla Carmichael, who has uh, oh. been prior on our podcast, so she's leading their nuclear decommissioning strategy, and so obviously this is a big part of that. So, I mean, you know, this big ideas start small, right? And and a million dollars in this space seems like a, a you know, a small uh, contribution, but hopefully it can lead to big things. So, yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, I I would actually I so I, I like that article. I give it a thumbs up, Matt. Um, and I like it because when we talk about renewables often people don't necessarily think about the parts or the aspects of those projects that need to be recycled. So we think about energy storage and lithium ion batteries and, 
you know, we think of nuclear and we think of, you know, other technologies and, and maybe there's something that can be recycled out of that. Um, so I was actually thinking of when you're talking about life cycle. So similarly, right, like they're taking lithium ion batteries and basically, uh, you know, recycling those components. So, uh, no, that's really cool. That's a great story. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes and we'll see how, you know, how effective it is and, and, and what the buy in and, and What's not clear to me is, does it only work for can-do reactors? Does it work for other reactors? Right. T- only time will tell. Cool. Uh, well, this next article is, uh, I don't have the date here. It was from the Toronto Star. It was earlier this week, uh, but it was, uh, fr- it was, it's entitled Canada Position to Serve U.S. Demand. So uh, basically a RBC report called calls on Canada to beef up its export capabilities specifically in clean technology such as electric electric vehicles to capitalize on US President Joe Biden's climate focused plans. So for those of you that might not be up to speed to that with that, the Biden administration has promised to invest 400 billion dollars over a decade to clean energy research and infrastructure. So the article's sort of talking about, you know, importing and exporting and, you know, this whole idea of Uh, how Biden wants to bolster American manufacturing. But it also is talking about this huge opportunity that Canada has uh, just because of, you know, the fact that Canada has the advantage of the deposits of, you know, critical materials that are needed for EV batteries. We have a lot of different technology coming out of SMR and carbon capture. And so the, the whole article is really about, you know, our ability to potentially capitalize on this opportunity. And uh, we spoke about it on a couple of, I think it was maybe last week's roundtable, um, you know, and just just in terms of, you know, when, when it comes to energy, how do we reach our overall climate goals as quickly as possible? And, you know, while I think most of us, especially during even the pandemic, tried to support local businesses, and there's still something that's very important about that. I think when we think about climate specifically, we got to think a little bit broader than that because, again, going back to last week's discussion, whether whether it's Manitoba or Quebec that has hydroelectric that we can use, or uh, I think the article was actually talking about um, hydrogen production in Germany and getting some of that power from from Quebec. I just think that if we can find a way to collectively work together across North America and really across the world, this is just going to accelerate, you know, uh, our ability to meet climate change uh, objectives much, much faster. So anyways, I give it a thumbs up for that reason. Yeah. And, and, you know, great to hear you want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and, you know, all work together on this. (laughs) And that is is good. I think there's also just a pure uh, capitalistic opportunity here where, you know, Joe Biden is demonstrating leadership. It's in, this is part of his two billion dollar infrastructure plan, right? That's where this is coming from, I think. Well, this one is actually a, a four hundred billion dollars over the decade, over a decade in clean energy research and infrastructure, specifically. I, I think that's a subset of the two trillion dollar infrastructure it bill. Maybe, yeah. And move forward. And if you look at you know what he's done on the COVID relief and you know what he's trying to do here. I mean, if you can get this across the finish line and actually get it approved, it's massive. And so mm-hmm. significant, you know, and, and obviously there's going to be rhetoric with it. And it's the biggest thing since Eisenhower's interstate system and, all, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, it's it's a big step of leadership and, and it's going to create jobs. It's going to create opportunities. And why shouldn't we as Canadians be there? You know, we, we need to be proud of the efforts that we have, you know, in the energy and the and the technology and the expertise and the know-how that we have, we should be exporting that and, and being part of the solution because to your point, we are all breathing the same air, right? So yeah. it's, it's very exciting to see, you know, what's going to come of that. I hope that they can 
um, massage their way through the two houses of, of Congress and uh, yeah. get that approved. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's a great story. That's a thumbs up for me for sure. Cool. So before we invite, uh, or perhaps as we invite our uh, producer, a man behind the glass, Mark Charbonneau, uh, to our next segment, I just wanted to tease a little news story very close to home for us. Um, Niagara Parks Power Station to open July 1st. So uh, in Niagara, of course, we have Niagara Falls, which has been a, a hotbed of hydroelectric power generation for many, many, many years. And uh, now in, on the Canadian side, we do it through the Sir Adam back one and two generating stations. Uh, but before that, there was, you know, other um, generating stations. And there's one called the Canadian Niagara Power Company Generating Station. And they've kind of, it's not in operation anymore, but they've kind of restored it. And it's going to become a, a park that you can visit mm-hmm. in July 1st of this year. And the cool thing to get a little bit technical here is it's such an old plant it used to, up until I think 15 years ago, it, it generated 25 hertz uh, electricity. So uh, typically in North America, electricity, of course, is 60 hertz, uh, but this is 25 hertz. And there were three uh, sites, Washington Mills, I think you know it, and there's a site, uh, there was an older site in Niagara Falls, cyanamide, and then, and then there used to be a long line that went to Stelco, and it was all 25 hertz. And uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a legacy project, kind of keeping that. So it, anybody who's in Niagara, um, you know, wants to go and check this out, I think July 1st, pre-sale of tickets. But it's the uh, Niagara Parks is the uh, the organization that will be running the tour. So pretty Very cool. Pretty, cool. pretty yeah. exciting. So. That's awesome. Good place for kids to learn. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. let's bring Mark on for the face-off. I'm here. Hey Mark, how are you today? I'm I'm reasonable. I'm on the beach. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm enjoying the weather before this uh, next uh, wave of lockdowns happen, right? You're on the beach in a in a sweater, there, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keeping warm. Are you there? Are you there with Minister Phillips by any chance? No, no, we went separately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, I guess um, today's version of Face Off, Thanks we will so. be uh, tackling. This uh, announcement that Premier Ford's going to make at 1.30, which seems to be um, sending Ontario back into another lockdown, um, along with new restrictions, again, closing down the gyms, restaurants, all those types of things. All the things that we've sort of earned back um, are being taken away again. Um, so with that being said, I'll give Matt the um, the con for this one, because the last COVID thing, he took the pro side, and we'll give... Uh, Lisa, the pro side. So um, <laughs> for, for clarity, that means I'm against the lockdown. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, so I figured this is pretty much a layup. So uh, <laughs> anyways, let's hear from Lisa. What do you think, Lisa? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, on the pro side, I think that, you know, obviously the vaccines aren't out yet. So we know that, uh, you know, we've successfully flattened the curve uh, with lockdowns previously. So I think we could continue to do that. And uh, obviously, when we think about, you know, the impact that that will have on especially the elderly people who are still really suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can continue to bring those cases down and help them out, reduce it'll reduce the number of people in the ICUs. I think we've had more people or we have more people in the ICU right now than ever before uh, because of these variants. So I think it's important to control that. Um 
one of the other benefits that we've talked about a number of times or and maybe not uh, here but on you know other mediums um has been reduced co2 emissions you know i'm i'm st- i'm right here in my house today i, I didn't drive to work uh, although i do bicycle to work occasionally now um but you know we're not we're not driving or flying around as much um so that that obviously is reducing our co2 footprint and climate change um there are so many people that are getting really creative. Uh, you know, I think of from, from lockdowns, I think of one of our staff members who has, you know, opened up a side business and she's making epoxy tables. And, you know, so I think about the creativity that some of this has create, created. So going back into the lockdown, uh, you know, maybe it just promotes a little more of that. And, uh, you know, while it's, you know, maybe a little bit hard for everybody. I think there's some big positives to to come out of it, obviously, if you think about it that way in terms of opening up new businesses or focusing on hobbies and just passions. Uh, The ability to focus on yourself, obviously, self-care or workouts, um, maybe more immediate time with family and in case, uh, you know, that's uh, that could be a pro or a con, less criminal activity. And um, yeah, uh, more people are just continuing to, to learn how to work from home and, uh, and, you know, deal with, uh, with business kind of moving forward without, uh, you know, being there in person. I think the lockdown has been lifted again by the time you're done that. (laughs) (laughs) I think Mark let me go over the two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the U.S., the fourth wave already is happening, but, uh, you know, and before I go into this, I want to be, you know, say the disclaimer that I think, you know the COVID pandemic is terrible, and you know the loss of life is is extremely terrible. And and this is a segment that you know we we take lightly, and you know, may or may not reflect our opinions. Um, and so with that being said, um, I, I think of my father who used to say, still says, uh, somebody needs to spin the wheels of the economy. And so you know, to me, locking things down like this uh, prevents the spinning of, uh, of the wheels of the economy. Yes, there's some aspects, and we can continue to work, but it's miss. You know, there are large swaths of the economy that you know. I think of, you know, my barber uh, who cuts my hair. He's a you know a sole proprietorship. You know, he's supporting a family of of five and. Um, you know, if you look at the data, there's not a lot of transmission that happens in that <clears throat> mask. I'm wearing a mask, um, you know, and, and the same is true for you know other areas. And so it, to me, it's not a very well balanced, you know, risk managed approach. And unfortunately, the um, the government doesn't create jobs. The government doesn't, you know, create value. It doesn't create that happens through the economy and through you know, being open and being jobs and no business wants to be, um, you know, well, with, with some minor uh, extreme examples, nobody wants to be, you know, doing the wrong thing and having COVID, you know, nobody wants to, we're all doing what we can to mitigate the risk, to manage the risk. And, you know, had we had a better rollout of the vaccines, had we had better procurement of the vaccines, we wouldn't have had, we may not have had this third wave. Nobody will know now, unfortunately. Um, but we do have the vaccines in long-term care facilities. We do have, you know, more and more people getting vaccinated every day. Had it been two or three months earlier, we could have avoided all this. But now we're starting to, you know, we're, and there are so many, you know, and the research shows there's lots of, um, you know, derivative harm for those on the margins when you have a lockdown in terms of mental health, in terms of drug use. All that stuff is, you know, going to come up again if we have a, you know, a sustained lockdown. So, 
Um, I will abide by the rules of the land to the best that I can, um, and and certainly you know mitigate risk wherever I can. But uh, no, I'm 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 not a fan of this next wave of lockdowns. In case it wasn't clear, and then I will I will conclude with uh, I empathize with the decision makers because there's no easy answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're both disqualified because you both went over the two minutes, so I will. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but but I would have to I would have to say that the stronger point obviously goes to Matt in this one. You can't help but, um, you know, feel that way. Even, even if I try to remain neutral, this this topic is a little bit difficult for me to be, uh, you know, neutral on. So um, sorry, Lisa. No, that's OK. I actually was I was hoping you were going to give me the con mark because, you know, similarly to Matt, I mean, I, I agree. I think that, you know, just if I can share my personal views, um, I agree that it's a really hard thing to manage right now, and I do feel for the <clears throat> government, um, but it's just, I, I, I'm so tired of it personally. You know, I cannot wait to go out and see my friends and family, um, and I think so many people are feeling that same way. Uh, you know, I spoke about the elderly and the effect that obviously, you know, yes, the fact that it, it is helping kind of, again, kind of bring that curve down and they've already been affected, but think about the ways that they've been affected otherwise, like the lack of socialization and, you know, the, the you know rising in dementia rates and the Alzheimer's and all of that stuff because of the mental health aspect of it. If there's anybody that's been affected more than, you know, without from the mental health aspect, it's probably, um, you know, the elderly. And second to that is probably, you know, people like your wife, Mark, who's a nurse. And, you know, they're just nonstop. They haven't been given a break. So I really just feel for everybody. And, you know, again, what Matt said, there's no right or wrong answer. But, um, yeah, I kind of wish I had the had the uh, to could, could have argued the con on this one. <laughs> to flip the script, though, uh, you know, I, I have great empathy for healthcare workers. And, uh, you know, they they the numbers are going up and up and up in ICUs, right? So it is, you know, that is the, with that focus in mind, it is the right thing to do. If, it, but if it works, does it work? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. it didn't work. It didn't work the first two times. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at least I gave, because I gave Matt um, the opposing side for the first COVID related topic, I thought I'd uh, throw a softball <laughs> for him this that's, time. That's okay. I'll, I'll get him next time, Mark. No worries. Yeah. So what does that mean? What are we at now then? Oh, I'm way ahead. Like three, one. I think it's two one. I think <laughs> way ahead. This is our fourth one. Did we have a tie? We did, and we were oh, supposed to. We yeah. left it up to um, the uh, listeners. So I got to. I got to check to see what uh, what it's, feedback it, we got. It's it's two one with one in a, one in abeyance yet. So um, cool. Well, Mark, thank you as always. A great question, Lisa. Great articles. Great uh, great debate back and forth. To our listeners, thank you very much and keep your comments coming, uh, particularly those who are advocating for me in our prior debate. Uh, <laughs> uh, until we uh, sit around this table again next time, have a very safe and a very uh, happy uh, Easter weekend. Uh, enjoy it, uh, COVID friendly, but uh, try to get together, albeit virtually with family to celebrate, um, you know, the important things in life like family and friends. So. Take care. All the best. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye.